Baby Teeth is the name of the debut feature film from our guest on today's Movie Maker Interviews podcast, Shannon Murphy. The film is about Milla, a seriously ill teenager played by Eliza Scanlon, who falls for a small-time drug dealer and pill popper named Moses, played by Toby Wallace, who perfectly captures the too-beautiful-for-this-world charisma of so many addicts who have a gravitational pull on those around them. Milla's parents are played by the excellent Essie Davis and Ben Mendelsohn, and this movie snuck up on me, as you'll hear in the podcast. Its music and color scheme and plucky Australianness lure you into a sense of irony, maybe even whimsy, which set you up for an ending that I found incredibly visceral. I found myself relating especially to the Mendelssohn character and thought about how different the job of parenting is when you have a child who's very sick. I'm Tim Malloy, and my interview with Shannon Murphy begins right after this trailer for The Industry, the new movie maker podcast by our friend Dan Delgado. Subscribe wherever you subscribe to this. My name is Dan Delgado, and I'm inviting you to take a different look at the industry you know and love. On my podcast, The Industry, we're focusing on the lesser-known stories, things that went on in the background and under the radar, or maybe just forgotten entirely. Runaway productions, insane decisions, and just overall weirdness is what's going on in this industry. And every once in a while, things do work out. The Industry, a podcast presented by Movie Maker. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Congratulations. It's such a beautiful film. And about three quarters of the way, you know, for the first three quarters of it, I was like, this is kind of funny. This is kind of this, kind of that. I don't really know where it's going. And the way you set everything up so skillfully and so magnificently, the last quarter of the movie just kind of destroyed me. And not in a way that, I saw coming at all. Oh, thank you. I think that's, yeah, that's the wonderful thing about it. Um, even when you, I first read the script by Rita Carnier, I knew that um, I was never ahead of the story, which I loved. Um, yeah. And anytime I thought I knew where it was going, uh, she subverted my expectations. And um, yeah, there is, you know, a sense that you think you know what's going to come and then it doesn't, and then when certain things happen, you are still quite shocked by them, which I, I find, um, you know, a, a real testament to the skill of readers' scripts. Well, you also brought it across as a director. I know you're not allowed to say that, but you did a really wonderful job of bringing this to life, <laughs> and the tone that you set, and the music, and the just the look and the colors of it, like all the decisions that you made that might not have been the most obvious decisions, but just really pay off in an unconventional, unexpected way. And for me personally, it's a, it's a movie that I'm not going to forget for a really long time. Oh, to, good. That was my goal. I really wanted it to get into people's bones. So I'm glad. I'm glad that you feel that way. Can, can you talk about how you got involved with it? As you mentioned, it was a play first. Yeah, look, it was a play at Belvoir Street Theatre, which is a really great theatre company in Sydney. Um, and Rita had written the screen, uh, sorry, the, the play. And then... Um, our producers, Alex White and EP Jan Chapman, who Jan is famous for having made The Piano and um, Love Serenade and The Last Days of Shenu and so many amazing um, films, almost all primarily by uh, female Australian directors. Hmm. She um, and Alex knew that they wanted to turn it into a film. And so they asked Rita to do the screenplay. And, yeah, they workshopped it and were um, dramaturging it for about years or so and then there was another director attached but then he couldn't do it and then it came my way just at a time where um, I was ready to make my first feature and 
because I don't write, I have to have like an incredible simpatico with the writer. And um, Rita and I just uh, have the same comedic sensibilities and, and uh, sort of view of the world and observations of people. So um, it was just the perfect combination. And I do, I hope I'm working with her um, many times in the future. Mm. Was it was it emotional for her to see her play turned into a movie? And there there's certain I, I just thought as a playwright she has complete control over it at one point and then the control goes to you and she sort of has to cede control and trust you. Did you have a lot of conversations about that? Look, she's actually really extraordinary and very generous as a writer. So when I came on board as director, the first thing she said was she wanted to fly herself from London, where she lives, she's Australian, but she lives in London, to Sydney to just spend time with me so that she could do a director's pass so that I could feel like it was my own. Mm. Um, and I thought that was amazing. And um, she came and we really, my only major sort of import in terms of this, the script was to say, let's have a few moments um, without dialogue where each character can kind of have a private moment but also um i had finally gone back and read the play and in the play there were all these amazing titles that were really long and hilarious mm -hmm. but i was like i there's something in that that i love about breaking up the story um as fragments of memory and also um having miller's voice and in many ways rita's voice be um at the forefront and as text on screen and that, that began as um, sort of, you know, obvious things about where are they, what's happening, and then gradually it would become more of an inner monologue and then eventually become quite epic and poetic. And so that was what we worked on, as well as the beautiful What the Dead Said to Miller. That was the theme that kept running through the text um, in the play, and I loved it. And so um, I wanted that to also have a moment. That is a beautiful, that segment, What the Dead Said to Miller, is so beautiful and so well done. And I just want people to see this movie. <laughs> I don't want to spoil anything and say too much, but I, I think that's a, a scene that people will really appreciate. Uh, what I like to do with my heads of department is we go on a retreat before we start working. And um, on that retreat, we all get to talk about something that we really want to explore and experiment with. And Andy Comis had this beautiful um, Japanese photography book and there were so many amazing lighting images that he said he felt were quite celestial and, and at some point would be wonderful in Miller's transition of really understanding her great existential crisis that we could, could play with this light. And I said, oh my gosh, I love it. And I also said, I want a moment that's completely silent in the film. And then that's how that scene came about. When you have young actors, um, the actress who plays Mila and the actor who plays Moses, who are dealing with such heavy themes, do you have any talks with them about that? About sort of making sure that they're not overwhelmed by the sadness of what they're dealing with? Oh, completely. Um, and, you know, you do uh, take care of them and all of that as much as you can. But still, you know, there's this um, one of the... the Big scenes at the end of the film. Um, I had been uh, so worried about all the actors that were having to emote in the scene that um, I remember uh, Eliza, who'd just been sleeping in the scene, I hadn't really been paying attention as much to her because, she, you know, her performance is more still. And when I went um, 
I finally went to check on her and she, you know, she was really distressed because she had been hearing all of them mm. um, through over and over again and all the tapes. And, you know, it's just about taking time and sitting with them and, and um, you know, allowing that, that uh, those really strong feelings to, to come out because, you know, even the crew members, um, they get uh, upset, you know, watching things. And so, yeah, it is, it's definitely about taking care of everyone. And, and you know, what what's really important is to always have a sense of humour on set, even when there are very heavy scenes happening. And yeah. not in a way to um, not honour what you're doing, but in order to break it up sometimes. Um, and Ben Mendelssohn's really good at that. He's always busting out his um, Yui boom and playing lots of music and keeping it light so that then, you know, when you have to reset and go again, you're okay. But, you know, some actors want to stay in the moment and then you also respect that. Um, it's just always about making sure you're giving what, what everybody needs. You said he busts out his Yui boom? I don't think I know what that is. He's always bringing that on set. Oh, it's like a t- you know, it's like one of those little portable speakers. Oh. <laughs> um, and so he's always playing pop music off it or rap music and like dancing around. Um, and yeah, I, I mean the beach scene, which is a very moving scene. Yeah, he. I remember him playing uh, Chuck Demas and the Pliers, Tease <laughs> Me, and dancing with Eliza before some of the things. <laughs> I read that you cast Ben Mendelsohn after seeing him dance somewhere. Did I, do I have that right? It was just, uh, it was the Sia concert, her latest concert. And she does, um, she just stands there and sings. And then these incredible videos are projected up on big screens that she has made with um, some pretty amazing artists and actors. And for her song, Breathe Me, which is really a beautiful song, uh, Ben is there with two huge puppet arms pulling at his shoulders and um he does a dance that is so uh tortured and moving and um incredible that I just stood there weeping watching it and I thought oh my gosh that is exactly what Henry's inner life is and I thought I've got to get him for this role and so when I wrote to him I actually didn't really talk about all his incredible body of work um, I talked about this music video and and so and I explained why it, it was so um, moving to me and it was compelling me to, to ask him to play Henry and also you know in Australia he's got a, a lot of work that he's done here that's very comedic and in the US I know he's got more menacing and dark horse kind of roles under his belt but I thought it would be you know, potentially a nice thing for him to come back and do something more connected to his roots. And he was really up for it. And, you know, he's a beautiful father as well and a very funny man. And um, and I just knew he had the right spirit for Henry. So it was wonderful that he um, was able to do it with us because he hasn't come back and done a film in Australia since Animal Kingdom. How did you find the rest of your incredible cast? I mean, starting with Eliza, who it all hangs on. She's so amazing in this movie. She is so amazing and I feel so embarrassed because <laughs> I saw her right after she'd done Sharp Object and it took me a year to cast her. And my casting director from day one was like, well, you're going to cast Eliza Scanlon, right? And I was like, look, this is my first film. I've got to see everyone that's out there. <laughs> Let me just do a whole bunch of auditions. And then I came all the way back to Eliza. But what was funny about that and it was that I, it was all because I couldn't work out who Miller was yet. So I had to go through the process of defining who she was before I could cast her. And so I just saw Eliza at too early a stage where I wasn't 
uncertain yet who Miller was. But then what happened was I realized that Eliza kept doing such different performances for me that I couldn't work out who she was. And then I went, oh, but that's exactly where I am with Miller. So she is the perfect Miller because she can do so much and just together we'll be able to define who Miller is. Um, And then the funny thing that happened was she was at a party with Toby in L.A., and he had just been going on about how he just auditioned for this film and he loved it and, you know, he, uh, he, he knew he was, you know, probably going to get it. And she was so bummed because she thought, but that's the, I, I wanted that. <laughs> and so she um, said to her agent, oh, I'm so sad. Who did they end up going with? And the agent said, that is so crazy. You've just asked me because I've just offered it to you. So her and I were really Whoa. thinking of each other at the exact same time. Yeah, Toby, I'd auditioned a lot of guys but I always sort of knew that it might be him um, because I've seen his work before and I really loved him um, as a performer and I knew that he could have the darkness of Moses but he's also very playful and generous and and such a sort of beautiful spirit which is what Moses had to have and so that was easy but Miller and I mean Eliza and Toby had never um, auditioned together or anything like that and I didn't workshop them together before I cast them wild they just ended up at a party together did they know each other no they had mutual friends yeah and then anna who plays uh, plays anna is um just an extraordinary actress that i've always wanted to work with and she was the only person who the previous director had already cast but you know i could have gone either way with her but there was for me it was no it was a no-brainer. I was like, no, let's keep Essie because she's incredible if she'll do it with me. And um, she was always going to offer um, a really uh, sympathetic take on a very complicated character. And I wanted to make sure that Anna wasn't judged um, and that, you know, you could really understand why she was doing the things that she was doing because I could imagine myself in the same situation. What was the biggest challenge you faced in making this movie? Um, the biggest challenge was we, the shoot moved early, um, because, uh, Ben was going to go on to the outsider and those dates moved forward. So all of a sudden I had to make sure that I was able to shoot Ben out in the least amount of time I, I knew that I could achieve it in. And so that was really hard because, um, I wasn't willing to give up shooting, Miller's hair in continuity mm-hmm. order. So I lost two days of shooting Ben but because I had to do the hair, but then I only had about, God, I think it was like seven days in the end of shooting him. And that was hectic because I also knew that if we didn't achieve anything, there was no way we were going to pick it up again. So just that pressure was full on. And also putting all the big family scenes and, and heavy emotional scenes up front of the shoot was... Um, was intense, but I think it actually worked in the sense that the energy of those scenes is quite different from the breadth that you get in the scenes with Mill and Moses and Anna, which is in the second half of the shoot where we had a lot more time and the pace went into like a film shooting pace, whereas it was like television for the first kind of two weeks Mm. in terms of pace. Um, so, the, yeah, that pressure was full on, but, you know, we all rose to the occasion and the actors were incredible and they knew that, that we were pushed for that. And so we just rehearsed in the small amount of time we had and smashed out those rehearsals and made sure our lines were down. And, um, yeah, you know, they're theatre animals, all of them, um, so they know how to do that. <laughs> 
you mentioned hair. Whose whose hair was a concern? I know that can be a big issue with other projects. Um, it was Eliza's hair because we had to cut it, and I didn't want to wig her in her punk hair look. I wanted that to actually be cut. Hmm. Um. So that was it, yeah. So it was to make sure that we got the scenes where um, Moses cuts her hair up front. And then, of course, the, the first scene with everybody at the dinner table, that had to be that haircut. So it was just getting those few scenes with Moses and her out early on. What was your favorite part of making this? Um, oh, gosh. I think my favourite part was actually in post. And the reason why is I normally, this is so terrible to say as a director, because <laughs> most directors are like, I love post. I really relish it. I make a film in post. And I'm like, I hate post. <laughs> it's so tedious. I'm sitting down on a couch for months. It's exhausting. It's draining. I, I don't know how to explain it, but it's just like so hard to stare at a screen for that long. I feel like I'm going insane. But, I love my editor, Steve Evans, and for this, having the luxury of time was actually really wonderful. I'm not used to that because in television, the, the post process is so much quicker, and it was actually really beautiful to spend time with just a, a singular vision and and just focus on the film. And I, um, I mean, I remember the first time I watched it in its <laughs> first version, which, you know, was a lot longer. Um, from the second half on, I just could not stop crying. Yeah. And my editor was like, it's, you're going to be, it's going to be okay. Like, it's going to be okay. You know? And I, I said, I think I'm just crying because I, I know we've got a film. Yeah. Um, and it was just such relief to go, okay, this is going to work. Um, yeah. And yeah, it was, it was a beautiful journey with my editor crafting it and I think for me post for the first time in my life was enjoyable and so that's that's what I really love <laughs> that must be a great feeling yeah and well and Jan, Jan Chapman and Alex like they're really cool in post too like they love taking their time and simmering on ideas and just not having that come on come on you've got to show it to the network or you know come on get the notes done like that not having that pressure was amazing the last thing I want to ask, and you may be really tired of fielding this question from Americans, and if that's the case, I'll just cut it out. Don't worry. But Australia seems to have done a much better job dealing with COVID-19 than the United States did, and our film productions are just now firing up. LA just decided a couple of days ago that they could shoot again with strict precautions. Do you have any advice for us or any suggestions, words of encouragement, anything? Oh, you know, I think with Australia, what the difference is, is we're a really massive island and we do not have a massive population compared to um, the US and other countries. So in order to control things, that was easier. And we sort of paid attention to what our government was saying quite quickly. I think it is about, you know, what COVID has taught us, which is the spirit of not just thinking about yourselves, about thinking about the greater community. And the more we can do that, um, the better everyone and everything is going to be in our lives. And so I think, um, you know, the only advice I can give is to keep sort of uh, 
paying attention to those around you and, and connecting to nature and what we keep giving up. Um, and that idea, a really great friend of mine, Alice Bell, um, talked about how it's like we've all been running really fast towards something. And then this um, pandemic made us realise that we had to stop and, and, and think, what the hell are we running towards? Mm-hmm. Like, what actually was the goal? I can't even remember. Um, <laughs> and I, that really struck me as um, <laughs> something that, um, you know, I'd been doing. I'm like, yeah, I'm running really fast, but I can't remember why either. Um, and so just to actually realise that maybe we don't need to do that and we can still make great work and be kind to one another and um, not only think for ourselves, because we have become such a selfish um, society and it's kind of gross to watch. <laughs> 